and try not to get murdered. In honor of last night in Soho, if you could live anywhere slash any time when you fell asleep, where would you? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and really this is such a broad question, and I feel like uh, there are so many right answers, but I'm just imagining like a beach locale, something quiet, mm. not too much going on. So I'm thinking Key West, maybe in like the 70s, like no cell phones, really different from where I am now. And there's not a lot happening. I don't want to be in the middle of any action. I just want to hang. And that's that seems like a good place to do it. Uh, I'm at Patches. I thought I was going to take the Katie answer. I'm specifically picking the uh, winter cottage from the holiday. Uh, I'm going to pick the <laughs> most basic Nancy Myers answer. Uh, hey, it's me, David the Seven. I'd like to live in Victorian England and be a vampire. And I, I think I look Spanish enough to not be, you know, killed as some sort of invader. Uh, I am David Ehrlich. And apropos of what we were talking about off pod before we started recording, I would choose maybe Mars from Cowboy Bebop. Hmm. Wow. Ooh. Uh, I like that Dave wants to kill people and Patches and I just want to go on vacation. <laughs> or Stars Hollow. <laughs> Stars Hollow is a good answer. Stars Hollow could only exist on Mars. So that mm. not exist in Mars Hollow. Whoa! Mm. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 371. It's pandemic 84. Holy crap. Uh, it's the week of Wednesday, October 27th. That's the day that a 1955 Rebel Without a Cause starring James Dean and Natalie Wood premiered. Yay! It's our uh, second 1955 in a row, but last oh, yeah? time it was just Patches and I. Great so. year. It was a great year. Uh, for some yeah. people, I guess, probably, but not everyone. Also, wait, hang on. What day? Marty McFly goes back in the past. I guess it's like November 1955. 5th, 1955. I think it's November 5th, so it's still got a little ways uh, to get there. Rebel Without a Cause had just come out, but it doesn't make an appearance in Hill Valley. Why are they having a dance in November? Does that line up it's with like any? It's like a home, like homecoming. homecoming? Yeah. It's not a homecoming sure. dance. It's Enchantment no. of the Sea Dance. It's the the fish under the sea dance. Um, yeah, I guess they just didn't have much else to do in the 50s. We have to look dance into this. the night away. Um, it's been a while since all four of us were on the podcast, so I'm guessing we have some reviews. I'm hoping that we've given uh, given the people the time to get those reviews in. Otherwise, well, uh, I truly, don't know what we're Truly about. spoken, like someone who did not listen to last week's episode, uh, when it was just... Patches and Dave, but they read a review uh, that we received, and the good news is that we have three more. Hey, hey! Uh, so let's do this. I've been X, also known as Y, says a thank you. This is a great podcast, but the main reason I'm writing this review is because I finally tried pumpkin pie talenti, <laughs> and now my life is complete. Again, a failed sponsorship opportunity for us. So a real deep cut. So thank you, David. Also, for the record, this was not the Stop Dave 7 from talking about the Star Wars oh, video game. Yes, it was. Or Star Wars video games, mm-hmm. because I actually enjoy it, even though I barely understand it. Now, I've been X, also known as Y, a very helpful review, especially because it cues me to talk oh. about... Something that, no, I need to talk about briefly, um, otherwise we'll be leading our listeners astray, which is that after a long, and I'd be curious to know where this listener found the pumpkin pie talenti, or, 
because after more than a year of searching high and low for it, I finally at my local food emporium found that they had adopted it into the Talenti Layers brand, which is basically horseshit in most cases. And the other Talenti Layers all Not literally are cheap gimmicks. It's it's no, it's, it's actual layers of pumpkin, um, ice cream, and horseshit. But, but the the Does pumpkin it give you, pie like, texture for your for well. Your see, ice the cream? thing is, that the there layers? already was. There, well, yeah. there already was texture to the pumpkin pie mm. flavor. It already essentially was a layers flavor because there were pumpkin pie crusts Crumbles. in it. Oh, I see. And so, oh, mm-hmm. and so the layers rebrand, I think, is really just a marketing play because the ingredients are, are essentially the same. What are the layers? The layers are the layers are as simple as just like pumpkin pie pie crust. Like, uh, and it's not it's nothing dramatic. I mean, it's all the pumpkin pie ice cream and the pie crust bits. There may not even be a change to the um actual recipe they've just adopted into the layers brand and i assume that like similar to when uh dayquil sinus transitioned to dayquil sinex and was off shelves for a year and my sinus is noticed um i think that that may have been the culprit of why it was hard to find but i've still after since buying those two pints haven't been able to find it i'm so glad that somebody out there Got to taste the sweet ambrosia of the gods. Well, so wait, uh, if you uh, no, if you don't have pumpkin like ice cream more. and you don't have Dayquil as dessert, what are you eating for dessert these days? Uh, well, I have transitioned to. I, you weren't asking me. I realize now you were asking our listeners, but I I'm trying. What? No, I was uh, asking you. What are you talking? Oh, you were asking me. How would oh, I, I, ask I thought the that listener. was like a, the listeners aren't here. I thought here. that was like an open question to the next. Hey, everybody, dial anyway. in when you can. And tell me what you're having for dessert. <laughs> uh, this we'll do a sidebar about this on our eventual second call-in show. But wow, what a tease. I've been trying out. Recommended to me from a friend this very expensive ice cream that I cannot afford to buy another pint for, which is fine because uh, every bite is so rich that it feels like a meal unto itself, so it's going to last a while. Is this thing called the Bad Batch ice cream? No Star relation to the Anna uh, Amir Amrapur, uh, Anna Lily Amrapur film of the same name, or the Star Wars show. Um, and I got the olive oil flavor, which tastes not even like ice cream. It tastes like someone has completely bathe a roll of ciabatta <laughs> in pure olive oil and like you can't have more than two bites a of soggy it flavor cardiac arrest um but it's good uh, and nuna's ice cream their the toasted rice flavor is delicious but i am still jonesing from pumpkin pie especially as we transition into tea season i really can't do both at once sleepy time tea season is here anyway <laughs> check out my food podcast uh ice cream for sleepy time tea i don't know i thought you'd We're have a better fighting on. in the war room on they're fighting yeah, in the I, kitchen. I, uh, I feel like talking about Talenti ice cream should have been a threat for not reviewing, but I enjoyed who, every bit Who of wouldn't that. want to hear about delicious pumpkin pie ice cream? I think that's I a really bonus. I really did. Um, che- Chef Tony PR says the sass is beautiful. All of you nerds galore with plenty of sass <laughs> and good takes on movies to keep me capital E entertained. Also writing this to save Katie from Galaxy of Heroes. I might do this more <laughs> often for her, even though I love Star Wars. Uh, thank you, Chef Tony PR. Your your saving uh, was not necessary this week, but we appreciate the effort all the same. Please ride to Katie's rescue again in the future. And finally, we have a longer review from a fine girl, NYC. Better than fine, she says. Super late to the game. I discovered podcasts in 2015 when I started commuting from New York City to my new house and new husband in the Burbs. Side note, a fine girl, NYC. I also discovered this podcasts in 2015 even though i've been on this one for five years at the time i wasn't sure what we were doing good, for half a decade uh, i figured it out i quickly found my way here trying to answer the question what is apaches 
after mm. hearing the term <laughs> yeah. mentioned multiple times on another one of the brilliant Dave Sevens shows. This show has given me a deeper understanding of movies and TV, how they are created and understood, and the ways they impact our culture. It's a gem. Dave Seven also taught me the concept of comfort media, and fighting in the war room has been that for me in a way I couldn't have anticipated, prompting this review. In 2018, I had an awful first pregnancy, a C-section, and unknown to me at the time, severe postpartum anxiety. Woof. I was a wreck. The hardest part of every day for me was taking a shower before bed. I was terrified to be away from the baby. Anxious about how the night stretching before us would play out. Exhausted and struggling to heal from everything my body and mind had just been through. Until I brought my phone with me into the shower and played this podcast. It's funny and smart and feels like you're in a conversation with friends. Other whole people navigating real life and finding time to talk about things that are interesting and complicated. And sometimes two of them cancel the show as a joke. It happens. (laughs) It's fine. I now have two babies, and I just listened to the pod in the shower before bed and thought back to that time with such gratitude for the break these four people provided me during those incredibly hard nights. Creating engaging, thoughtful content isn't easy, but fighting in the war room does it so well. Put it on a billboard on the Sunset Strip. This podcast is fine, and it's good to be fine. Well, thank you so much. That, that's a, fine that is such a great review. That was a great review. Review. That was really special. I think that I'm also touched that like, with all of us. my wife won't even let me in the shower. So it's really encouraging that we're all allowed in there. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> more detail Hey-o! than we needed. But, uh, <laughs> that's not true. Uh, I'm coming in the shower, Michelle. That, don't worry. That, no. Okay. Right, Patches right has left. Um, <laughs> I'm coming in the shower. <laughs> that was a Stop a lovely... yelling you're coming in the shower. All right, I'll shower. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lovely review soured by Matt Patch's sick, sick mind. Um, I'm so happy that we could do some good for anyone out there. Um, and, and two babies. And two babies uh, named, uh, high, highly named recommend David two babies. and Dave Seven. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for this review. And to anyone else out there whose lives we have helped or ruined, uh, please go on Fighting in the War Room on iTunes. Leave us a review. We'll read it live on the show. Always appreciate to hear from you. Otherwise, we're talking Star Wars Galaxy Heroes. No. And you don't want that to happen. I'm going to just add one more thing is if you're about to have a baby out there, highly recommend getting into some podcasts because there are great things to do when your hands are full, but you're very bored and too tired to do much. So podcasts for after having a baby. Back. Hard recommend. They're back. Better than ever. <laughs> So we're doing at the beginning of the show something that was supposed to be kind of the big everybody watches it segment three, but then I I screwed it up honestly. Like no, it was my wait, pick where were I missed you? the show. Should we just say that you were like supporting oh, yeah. film well, or something? Oh uh, yeah, I was uh, moderating an onstage conversation with Diane Warren at Film Fest Nine One Nine here in the Triangle of North Carolina. Is she going to get nominated for real, an Oscar? You, yeah. <laughs> Please tell me that you you asked some probing questions about her sordid history at the Oscars. I mean, she's very upfront about it. She makes uh, good jokes about how she's. Uh, you know, been nominated 12 times. It's uh, I think she's the most nominated woman to never win. She did an appearance at this like TV special they had at the Academy Museum where they have a whole like, I don't know really how it works. But, like they put your name like and the Oscar goes to Matt Patches and you get to walk really? in and pick up an Oscar and give your speech oh. to a camera. Yeah, congratulations. You, you won an Oscar. <laughs> um, 
And she did it, and she like got to hold an Oscar. So yeah, she's got a sense of humor did, about did it. Did she make any comments about how all the songs that she's written in order to win the Oscar that continues to elude her were actually just the same song eleven times? I mean, she definitely said she's writing the best songs of her life now, which is. Mm, I'm gonna have I, to disagree with you, Diana. I, a lot of respect. A lot of respect. A lot for, of respect. She is a a genius, uh, but I. Well, can't. she's talking about now, not. Uh, like five years ago or six years ago when she was not or off. four years ago, <laughs> or three years ago. Right now she's doing it. She's trying. Anyway, I, she I also, wish she, her nothing but the best. She talks with great pride about writing. Uh, Why did you do that? The song from a star is born that rules, even though Bradley Cooper's character says it's bad. So she's got that going for her, David. Oh. I know you like that song. Which song? Uh, why do you look so good in those jeans? How uh, do you come up to me with an ass like that? How do you come up to me with an ass like that? I mean, she asked the tough questions. <laughs> so anyway, I know some people come to Film Fest 919 because they hear me yammering about it on podcasts. If you're one of those people and you came, uh, so glad it's a great festival. But anyway, that means I wasn't here last week to talk about the Babysitter's Club, which is the thing I really wanted to talk about. Uh, it is a Netflix series. It is currently in its second season, which debuted a couple weeks ago. And... It is based on the very, very best-selling, and if you are, you know, probably a woman in your 30s right now, very iconic book series by Anna Martin. Um, and it's mostly a girl thing, so I was kind of excited to have you guys watch <laughs> The Babysitters Why? Club, why is it mostly a girl thing? Because it's all girls? It's about girls. Okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, every you know, I think more so when we were kids. Like, a lot of stuff for kids is very heavily gendered. There's boy stuff and girl stuff, and The Babysitters Club was certainly marketed as a girl thing it's about these seven girls who are in a babysitter's club um and their friends and every book is kind of from the point of view of a different girl um which is kept alive in the series through voiceover narration and very charmingly uh, the kind of title page of every episode is written in each girl's handwriting which is something you get in the super special editions of the book um <laughs> where each of them have diary entries written in their very distinct oh, handwriting um yeah, this show was very clear. It's created by Rachel Schukert, who I don't know her exact age, but I think she's basically my age. I think so, yeah. Um, and made with very, very deep affection for the original series. There's all kinds of references to characters who whose names you'll recognize, the things that have happened in the books. There's some episodes that are like directly the plot from some books, but are also um, really heavily updated. I think this show, among its many strengths, uh, does an amazing job of updating the characters in the situation from the you know early 90s and 80s to present day you know changing uh, making the main group of characters more diverse having them have a variety of interests dave and i were talking beforehand about how dawn is the uh the socialist uh latinx uh of person of the group dawn rules. <laughs> also dawn got yeah, dawn recast in season rules. two because the girl who played dawn in season one is now joining the marvel it had universe. to go be uh yeah. in dr strange right, she's in dr strange I mean, but uh, the girl they got i think is even better in season two and like more militant socialist and more compassionate and funny. Um, really great character. Yeah, and 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 gets to do more. Yeah, great character. And like that really runs through the gamut of all of them. Like a lot of them, you know, Christy, who is the bossy one who starts the whole club and is the tomboy. I think she's really close to who she is in the books and other ones like Marianne, I think, grow a lot from it. Um, and it's a show that like Ted Lasso is a show that gets all the attention for being like nice and about people learning and growing. And I think the Babysitter's Club does that. And I don't want to compare them because they're different kinds of shows and targeted at different audiences. But the way that the Babysitter's Club depicts niceness and also like learning that you have to be nice. And like when you're a kid where you're just like, fine, it's not all about me. I guess I'll do something to sacrifice for somebody else. Like it's a very clear eyed depiction of that while also being um, really light on its feet. And I, I love that combination, of that show. It reminds me of the books while also being something different. 
And uh, I enjoy it so much. And I am really excited to hear what you guys thought about it and if you like it too. Yeah. Um, my wife is a big fan of the books. So we watched season one when it was on last year and caught up with season two before we planned on doing it for the podcast. So I feel like it's an achievement that we were already watching the Babysitter's Club um, <laughs> season two before we planned this. But I, I think it's so sweet and what's key is it's it doesn't feel like kind of ya watered down nothing's cheap about it nothing like you mentioned the cast is really diverse and they are kind of updating the social politics to be on a wavelength with i don't know for lack of a better words like the woke conversation here and like getting up to date with how people talk and how people function in society today doesn't feel ham-fisted at all like these are modern girls operating how modern girls would and i find that really inspiring i i don't it's as you mentioned it's light on its feet it's not so like snappy as gilmore girls uh which we've invoked already on the podcast but mm, i actually think yeah. it is like the show a lot like the warmth of it the kind of the family the dynamics the the back and forth the, what where the comedy comes from where the sweetness comes from it feels like a good filler for the gilmore girls void for me um not the Amy Sherman Palladino yeah, rhythms necessarily, but certainly the the sharpness and um, the kind of sitcom flavor of it. I think it's I think it's you up get there. little bits of that sometimes. I think like I don't think anyone you know the, the thing about Gilmore Girls is all of them are like clever, and I don't think the Babysitters Club leans into that so much. But you do get kind of good snappy bits, like Alicia Silverstone. I think is really funny in a lot of the scenes, <laughs> or you've got. Um, the guy who in our household is known as Holt's husband, who is also on The Good Place. You know who I'm talking about, who plays Marianne's dad. Yeah, Mark Evan um, Jackson, I think he's... Yeah, love him. Uh, he, I, I, He'll just always be Holt's husband. And he gets really funny jokes. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a tension to comic timing in addition to all the kind of YA And there's true like storytelling stuff. gawky like, uh, awkwardness. The, 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 the kids are growing up. It's really awkward. I mean, uh, Mark uh, Evan Jackson's daughter... On the show, this young woman, Malia, Marianne. Malia Baker. Yeah, she's playing Marianne. She is just like growing up. And in season two, she's getting her first boyfriend, but she still feels young. Um, and that feels like that kind of awkward shift. Am I grown up? Am I not? That's the whole babysitter's conundrum, right? They're running Story a business. Life. I'm still there now. Oh, we know. We know. <laughs> yeah. but you're you're kind of old now. Um, happy birthday. Uh, <laughs> that's That's the point. But uh, yeah, I, I find this show to really nail this kind of stage where you don't know how to act if you're still a kid or if you're the grown up in the room. All these kids seem really sophisticated. The girl who plays Claudia on the show um, is like so cool. It's it disturbs oh, me yeah. how cool some of the this girls are. This is extremely extremely true to the books. Oh, so really? Claudia is like the most aspirational figure of that I think everyone has. And she's as, going through a whole kids. cultural thing. Um, because of her mm -hmm. her family, are they Japanese? I think they're Japanese. Japanese, uh, yeah. There's a whole, well, like, they're they're Amer Japanese, Japanese American. Japanese American. But her grandmother is a very like she is a first generation immigrant from Japan, and like she is standing over her granddaughter's shoulder as she makes green tea and like slapping her on the wrist for doing the wrong way, basically. And um, I found that episode in season two to be really touching, like getting in touch with. Uh, you know, the legacy culture, it's something that's always seems like it could be slipping away for younger kids and they're getting a bad rap these days for giving a shit about the past and about their elders. But like this show is, the, is in touch the legacy with that. culture makes it sound like you're talking about a previous culture. <laughs> like it's like a, a place where someone came from, like it's a uh, part of a brand 
it's like a previous culture. iteration of yeah this is uh, not the rebooted yeah. japanese culture of yours yeah um i will say that so claudia is uh that in the book like a lot of these characters are chained uh to be make the more diverse claudia in the books is japanese as well and i think a really iconic character for a lot of asian women as well and there's a there's a band called the linda lindas that is uh uh, Asian women in California, they have a song called Claudia Kishi. That's like a punk rock song about how cool Claudia was. So, yeah. Melinda well, that... is, of course, inspired by the incredibly, incredible and incredibly underseen Japanese film Linda, 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 uh, which I was hoping the Linda Lindas would sort of launch back into the conversation, but um, has yet to happen. But seek that out if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Dave, what about you? Babysitter's uh... Club? Well, I watched all of it. <laughs> um, I had a real tough <laughs> so time. Glad. Had a real tough time with the first part of the first season because never read any of the books. <clears throat> so episode one, I'm like, man, this voiceover is really gonna be here the whole time, isn't it? Just like not <laughs> even realizing that's you know point of the whole like point of view uh, anchoring. But I think especially the second season, which I was being a little bit nicer to and paying attention to because the camp finale, the two part camp finale of season one, kind of kicked me into the possibility the of what this what the show could be. I like because at first there's a whole bunch of things about like a suburban 12 year old girl experience that is just so different from my suburban 12 year old male experience. Anytime they're interested in each other's fashion, I would be like, I would be trying to dress so that nobody talked about like what my fashion was like at all. We'd be talking about like music a lot more. If we wanted to start a business, we'd be like, we're going to shoot music videos. Like, as we a whole bunch of like weird stuff that's just. <laughs> It took me a while to accept the characters as characters. I needed the runtime and I needed the background because uh, it's my middle-aged fiction was less uh, this and more Goosebumps, which is like serialized and sensationalized and gets right to the point. Uh, but once, once you know, after the first season gets the marriage uh, happening and they go to camp and they come back and they're trying to make this mixed family and we have uh, some more characters joining the club. Uh, that are able to bring like different perspectives to it. I really enjoyed the short burst, yeah, feel good format that you guys are talking about, uh, where it's like we're all going to get together and we're going to meet open hearted and we're going to learn to you know respect our friends and families even if they don't look like we expect them to look. I think that's that's great. I I I want it to be like the only thing that separates this from something that I think would have hooked me immediately is the idea that it's for young girls. Mm. Um, you don't think it is? Uh, no, I think it is. No, you think it is. But I think that's what sort of like uh, is the divide, like the, the difference between something like this or something like Gilmore Girls or even something super soap opery like a, you know, a Gossip Girl or a whatnot is they all have uh, similar societal issues they want to talk about, but just how much are they going to blow that out into extremes just for the sake of blowing that out for extremes? In the Babysitter's Club, they got to make a float, and the float doesn't turn out very well. In Gossip Girl, someone ends up dead after a night of cocaine. And, you know, that's really, that's just the extreme soap opera nature that takes it there. And I don't want Babysitter's Club to be that so it gets 37-year-old dudes. So I think it's perfect. It's just a slight, it's a curveball for me. But they do. That I, need I mean, I think season two goes a long way to make this something that adults can watch with 
young adults oh, yeah. and uh, i think the alicia mm-hmm. silverstone in season two so she's been recently remarried as mentioned and um she is trying Watson. to she's trying to have a yeah, baby um which was is gonna be tough she's older um and she wants yeah. to have a baby and it you know it's a turbulent process and i won't say how it goes in case people want to discover it but um you know her daughter christy uh, who's kind of the lead of the show she's the ring leader um and my god well this girl sophie grace is like an amazing actress she seems very sophisticated um and just the way she presents herself i don't know she could be on succession like next season that's how she's just so <laughs> snappy um and i, th- I feel like the show is just perfectly cast like all of these girls are going to be super famous someday soon um they just all uh, it doesn't surprise me marvel plucked one of the girls already from the first season to be in movies because it's like it's just a perfect cast. Um, but yeah. I was really struck by this kind of dynamic between uh, Christy and her mom and trying to figure out if she can have a baby and if, how it, the moments when it's not going well. And it's like pretty tough to watch. But to have the psychology of like the adult experience and try and make it palatable to young girls or to, to extend an arm to young girls and the moms that might be watching with them. I just found that really touching. I think it's something that can be watched all together and, and everyone can learn about each other watching it. It's pretty profound. Yeah. The notion that your parents are people. It's a, it's a hard uh, thing, it's to a thing to learn. Like you, you really usually accidentally learn. learn it. I feel like in your twenties, but I feel like this <laughs> show would give people a head start in a positive way. Yeah. Uh, David, did you watch any babysitters club? Nope. No Larissa Lelanek. No David watching. That's, wow. That's Caster is one of the moms, <laughs> and then uh, I'll be in business. You're missing out, but I want to wrap this. It sounds this. like it. I uh, The show sounds lovely. I've just been short on time, but one of these days. I'd, it's a good I'd balm for when you want to watch something with like good performances, but also you don't need to like write a review about it and do some yeah. shit. Yeah. It's it's the thing that I have watched at the end of a day when I don't think I can handle anything else, which is, uh, I think, a good way. I rewatched one this morning just to be like, does it still hit? And I'm like, yeah, it still hits. All right. I got, my, I got my beloved below deck and winter house for that. <laughs> and now it's hockey um, season. So, oh, no. no. <laughs> so I th- I think that the key, I think, to why these books mean so much to a lot of people. And um, if you read Babysitter's Club, please write in and tell me. But. Because there's seven of them and their personalities are really distinctive and really uh, well-defined, everyone has their babysitter who they identify with. Like, it's like it's like Sex and the City. Are you a Carrie, Samantha, Miranda, or Charlotte? But, like, for when you're 10, I was a Christie. I think that's obvious to Really? I wouldn't, I wouldn't have necessarily pegged you as a, as a Christie. Oh, really? The bossy one who tells every who, like, organizes everybody? <laughs> Is everything? there any correlation between which babysitter's club girl you are and what American girl doll you enjoy? I thought you were going to be more of a Marionette. Yes. Oh, really? Marianne's the, like, quiet one who, like, doesn't want to be the center of attention ever. Yeah, the first time I met Katie Rich, someone was like, that's Katie Rich, and a person in an Iron Man mask danced into karaoke. <laughs> so it doesn't seem very Marianne to me. Um, I'm just going to give you all your babysitter assignments. So I think oh, it's a personal yes, thing. Please. Everyone has to decide for themselves. Uh, Patches, I was going to make you Dawn. Okay. Because you always have uh, ideas that you're trying to get everyone on board with and um, are, you know, not above shouting us down to get us on your <laughs> side. Actually, we're going to get to that very shortly. Uh, David, you can be Mallory because yeah. you are uh, slightly overwhelmed by all the chaos around you most of the time. 
Uh, and yeah. Dave, I think, uh, Dave, I think you're the Claudia, mostly because you're the artist, but also right. because you uh, you don't give a shit what other people think. I was going to take her junk food habits if you allowed me to pie myself <laughs> anyway, so I will take the full thing. Why not? Yeah. I mean, when you said you don't, you would not want people paying attention to your fashion, that's not very Claudia, but I think the rest of it fits in. Well, I only know the Netflix version, so I'm I'm okay with that Claudia. She's cool. Yeah. The junk food, pretty good. She like hides it all over her room in the, yeah. in the, bu- in the books. It's good. Everybody watch Babysitter's Club on Netflix. It's waiting for you. It's a joy. <laughs> okay, just calm down. Don't get your diapers in a bunch. <laughs> There's the nipple for lunch. Oh my goodness. You have built-in auto-tune. <laughs> you better stop that mechanical crying soon. <laughs> Imagine. It's just a couple months ago you was in my testicle. Now you are screaming and watching great spectacle. Hey. This generation is going to destroy the nation. Everybody getting aggressive. Sometimes for you to get aggressive and answer somebody to calm down is more progressive. Hey. Man love tell man about the mother all the time. This is major laser response rhyme. You say laser, soak your mother. We get uh, for this week's mini segment, we're going to talk about a movie that's coming out next year, but we have a very urgent conversation to, uh, to wade into here. So last year, December 10th, 2020, Disney and Pixar announced Lightyear. It is, quote unquote, the definitive story of the original Buzz Lightyear. Um, what does that mean? We're going to talk about this, but um, <laughs> this, this announcement was made around 7.30 by 8.15 that day which I will never forget because it was just an onslaught of Disney news uh, coming out of their investors' callers. One of the 18 one Star of the Wars worst shows days of American history, yeah, I think. Maybe. Exactly <laughs> well, we'll have to see how it all goes. We'll look back at it as a day at infamy. But yes, by 8.15 <laughs> that night, an hour or so after, Chris Evans, who is going to voice Buzz Lightyear in the Lightyear movie, after saying, I don't even have words to describe what this movie is. He later did have words and said, <laughs> uh, just to be clear, this isn't Buzz Lightyear the toy. This is the origin story of the human Buzz Lightyear that the toy is based on. Now, today, in the week of this recording, the official trailer for Lightyear came out. And it does appear that Lightyear is a person. He has a uh, type O positive blood type based on his dog tags <laughs> that he's wearing in the trailer. Very human person. Um, but the conversation erupted at Polygon uh, after the trailer dro- dropped because we could not decide if, to my belief, based on Chris Evans' tweet, I think that Bud Lightyear is based on an actual person named Buzz Lightyear who went to space and then they made action figures based on him. But other people, there's, there's other teams, factions here that believe that Lightyear is actually the movie in the world of Toy Story that inspired them to make Buzz Lightyear toy. So it's actually like a Marvel-esque movie or something that they went on, or like a Star Wars, and then they went on and made toys for. I'm getting a lot of conflict here. I want to open up the floor and try and figure out and predict or maybe try to wrap my mind around what Lightyear is. I'm getting a lot of messaging this is important lore questions, everybody. What is Lightyear? No, no, is- no. It's, it's, a logic, it's a logic problem. A comes, then B comes, then C comes. So if is this is a, a lot Pixar of movie. Yeah, it's a lot of coming, oh, but no, not in the shower. Know. Not in the shower. We're, <laughs> so we're all just dry coming Oh, here. boy. Hello. Yeah. Hi, uh, <laughs> this is not Lightyear. Light <laughs> so there's a movie called Lightyear. Yes. 
that is about an aspirational type O negative astronaut <laughs> with a fantastical suit that goes into space something something. Okay. This movie is successful in the universe that also has the business pizza planet, therefore making it the root Pixar universe. This movie exists. It exists somewhere banking off the Star Wars Flash Gordon craze. I'm going to say somewhere in the early 80s. Because it's also the early 80s. The movie weirdly and looks like a Star Wars movie. It looks like they go to Dagobah for some reason. I yeah, well, would not yeah, be surprised yeah, yeah. if the synergy is there for this one. I've got, I've got this all history. This all, this all worked out. Much like in our world, in the Pixar Pizza Planet Prime universe, <laughs> the government oh, no. also... <laughs> they, the government also lifted the ban on uh, non-educational children's programming in the early 80s, meaning they could make a animated TV show where Lightyear fights Zerg and a whole bunch of crazy aliens, which is the animated TV show we see in Toy Story 1, which the Buzz Lightyear toy is born out of, and they hire cocaine addict Tim Allen to voice this cartoon <laughs> character. Why does he have to be a cocaine addict in this prime universe? Because, because that, is also lin- that is also linked to the government uh, allowing children's television. Tim, Tim Allen being a coke addict is canon, unfortunately. Um, in all universes. In all universes. Yeah. I, I just want to point out, as I, as I did on Twitter immediately when I saw the trailer, even though uh, up until the moment the trailer came out, I was still convinced that this was just a Super Bowl commercial masquerading as a movie. <laughs> and not an actual movie that people made. And maybe it still, still feels like that. That yes. there are the exact shots, um, and also with a a, a a black female character and a white guy across from her. Unfortunately, Buzz Lightyear does not look all that much like Oscar Isaac. But there is a uh, series of shots that is shot for shot exactly from the card counter, which is of course the, an ending, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, an ending that uh, Paul Schrader is borrowing from Pickpocket and has used before. But uh, the, the comparison to the card counter, if you've seen the card counter, it is, I, I could not possibly ever watch that series of shots in the fucking Lightyear trailer without thinking. You're saying that Lightyear exists else. in the world of the card counter where they I'm be saying able to that homage Paul Schrader. No, in the what I'm saying is that if, my answer to the question of what is Lightyear is very simple. It's a shot-for-shot remake of The Card Counter. Yeah. But in space. Including all the Abu Ghraib stuff. I mean, very much including all the Abu Ghraib stuff. What do you What do you think that Buzz Lightyear did before he was conscripted <laughs> into the <laughs> fucking Space Force? You don't know. If the Abu Ghraib stuff comes up, that kind of blows apart my timeline theory, but in the best way possible. Do you think that Chris Evans has no idea what he's talking about? Is that what you come... Absolutely. Okay. Zero percent idea what he's talking about. They're like, Chris Evans, we want you to play the person Buzz Lightyear is based on. He's like, okay, that's enough of a sell for me. I feel like we should be giving Chris Evans a little bit more credit as a smart and sentient human being. Hey, I, I'm giving him credit. I'm on Chris Evans' side. I think that Light, Buzz Lightyear is supposed to be a real person. I take his word. But it also doesn't make sense. Like, if Buzz Lightyear was a real man and he went to space, what year is Toy Story set in? Certainly not. 1995 but also dave i would push back that a blockbuster that looks like lightyear could not be made in the year 1995 when toy story is supposedly set because andy is a young boy and then he eventually grows up in the sequel so how do you deal with that 
You know, the part that I'm stuck on is, Patch, is the part that your coworkers in this Polygon piece seem uh, very clear on, which is when Susanna Polo says, is this the live action remake of Andy's favorite childhood movie? And Patch, as you say, no. And then multiple people apparently okay. reply with a yes emoji. That's probably, <laughs> yeah. Wait, so, yeah, the theory there, I guess, is that the cartoon series exists when Toy Story rolls around. But eventually in modern day, they have made a cartoon adaptation. And that is Lightyear, essentially. Yeah, if because only the cartoon there were a that Andy really watches... big movie that we're out right now that we could be talking about instead. It doesn't even have to be a good one, but just one that we've maybe seen. one that takes place. It's in called space. a mini segment. Maybe one that takes place. All right, place. Yes. it's over. It's over. To infinity and Lightyear, beyond. In theaters, June. No, something no or transitions. Another. No transitions. All your kids, your kids will be vaccinated by then, so you'll take them to oh, see. Oh wow, it. that is some great dreaming. Dreams are visions from the deep. That's true. That is the first line of dude. <laughs> I, I cackled out loud at my screening when the movie started like that. Uh, there were so many moments in my screening where I wish I was with someone who I could cackle with while enjoying this movie. But there's just a lot of parts of this movie where you're just like, are you fucking seeing this? Selen Skarsgård is floating in a tar pit. And he just went back in. Yeah, he just that's uh, you know a, and that's it. That's <laughs> how his, say, that's how his character's arc ends. That's the, the whole scene. Comes back in the, the top. On the list of of wild and crazy things I've seen Stellan Skarsgård do on a movie screen, that is not in the top ten. Well, what about what about floating in the top of the ceiling like a, a cockroach that I mean, ran away I, from you that trying to kill? Maybe my it. favorite moment of the movie, but <laughs> okay. Still, so as people yeah, have guessed, the guy as people have guessed, Skarsgård spoilers for we're two. talking about French Dispatch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, I'm reading the wrong card. Yeah, I really the, the floating Stellan Skarsgård was really out of left field. How do you say that in French? <laughs> Bill Murray's like, I want you to write an article on this very strange Norwegian man. <laughs> you see, he's he's soaking in black, Katie, because the melange is oil. You know, just in case you didn't get the Wait. metaphor. Oh, oh, because the oil is a meta, like spices metaphor for oil. Is yeah, that, is yeah. that really what that I is? I don't think that's why yes. he's soaking in. Blackness. I think it's an apocalypse now like, reference. Here is a visually cool thing that makes yeah, it look, look like a. Uh, the apocalypse now I, reference isn't in the black. It looks like pool. Marlon Brando coming out of the swamp. That's in oh, the that's in the sweat steam room oh, thing, no. which is also oh all of yeah. this is, all of this is visually stunning but empty. Who wants to set it up? Who wants it set up? Uh, oh, ooh, I love I love when I feel my aligning with Dave force tingling. <laughs> Dune Dune is extremely complicated. I'm not the person who should explain Dune. All right, here we go. House Atreides is sent by an emperor that we don't see, so who gives a fuck, to a planet called Acherus, which will be known as Dune. It is the titular Dune planet, uh, to take over from House Harkoman, 
who have been... Wait, hold on, hold on. No, Harkon, Harkon, Harkonnen. Serious level mispronunciations going <laughs> Thank on Thank you. Here. It's, it's, it's Arrakis. I'm backing it's away. It's Arrakis, <laughs> Arrakis, and they are Harkonnen. Harkonnen. Uh, I got a Trades right, though. How's the Trades? Yeah, you did. They say that a lot. You say a lot. Paul Atreides, T- Timothy Atreides, Paul Dune, Timmy C. Timmy, Timmy C. Atreides. You know, Lady Jessica couldn't get easier than that. Yeah, that's a Lady Jessica is pretty easy to come right, by, so and Dun- Duncan Idaho is pretty easy to come Duncan, by. Do you you put some respect American on that? Boy. Basically, the year is ten thousand one hundred something. It's far in the future. People have sworn off a lot of uh, computer related technology. Um, because apparently that didn't work out well for us. Everyone was on Twitter too much, and it was uh, wars were started. Why that wouldn't work? Out. Uh, I do like yeah. that they have like old-fashioned walkie-talkies and stuff. That's cool. Yeah, um, and their documentaries are like hollow tables or some shit. Um, anyway, the emperor who we don't see, as Dave pointed out, is a uh, guy who is afraid that he's vulnerable, that another house or another any other entity is getting power that could threaten him, and that's House Atreides, which Oscar Isaac is the leader of, and uh, Timothy Chalamet, Paul, is his son. And so he concocts an evil plan that David Lynch's version spells out in its entirety in the first five minutes of the movie. Um, David Lynch famous for his storytelling economy and clarity, um, <laughs> at least compared to Denis Villeneuve. His plan is that he's going to give the planet of Arrakis, the desert planet, that is the only place in the universe that uh, where you can find spice, which is basically sand, but it has psychedelic properties and also powers interstellar travel, making it the most valuable substance in the world. Um, he is going to wrest control of that power away from the evil House Harkonnen, who are basically, you know, any sort of colonialist force there has ever been in our world. And he's going to give it to House Atreides, but secretly he is plotting, the Emperor is plotting with the Harkonnen to come back under cover of night when the Atreides are there and not paying attention. You're going to use a, a spy and they are going to uh, kill the Atreides and therefore um, the Emperor will be able to consolidate his power safely. And that's basically all that happens in this 160 minute movie. Um, and I had a great time. Like uh, and uh, Tim, Tim, Tim and Jessica, Timothy, Dune and Jessica are chased off into the sand. Yeah, that also happens in this movie. Yeah, and Our Zendaya time. is, uh, despite what the marketing may have you believe, not in this film. No, hey, she's in, in the background of the last scene. <laughs> yes. Who will our next oppressors be? She gets that zinger in and then fucks off. Um, I assume that she will play a very large role along with Duncan Idaho, our boy, in uh, in the second movie. Um, David, I do have to uh, shout out my coworker, hmm. Kate. Spoilers, spoilers for Dune. I do have to shout Duncan out Idaho, my... Uh, oh, no, not Duncan Idaho. I swear Duncan Idaho comes back and that they talk about that a lot. Whatever. Um, what? I've never read Spoilers more of Dune. Dune. I don't know. Too, but uh, <laughs> I do want to shout out my colleague at NUR, Kate Erbland, who famously once worked at a Gap, I believe it was, when she was a teenager with a man named Duncan Idaho. Nice. I'm yeah, glad that's not passed out. I, w- I'm fr- I, haven't read, I haven't read any of the books, but I'm familiar with Dune because I've seen the Lynch film and I used to make fun of it a lot. Just like how voiceover would pop in randomly or how David's describing people would just be like, here's what's going to happen. And then you'd cut to something and be like, I guess this happens next uh, in a very like David Lynchian fashion. Uh, I think this movie is like beautiful and it pulls off some technological things that are 
amazing. Uh, I think it it probably falls under the definition of literally awesome uh, with some of the stuff it's able to, you know, show me in this science fiction world. But when it ended, I was like, man, I want to watch another Timothy Chalamet movie, not Dune 2. Well, you the know, like that is also in theaters this weekend. So, I know, I know. Uh, I, I really, it's an embarrassment of riches. Uh, but like, <laughs> this is how it Dave was... wound up watching Beautiful Boy at midnight. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> there's so, there's something about it that doesn't that doesn't overall hook me. It's I don't know if it's so much world building has to be done in this that it's impossible to make it feel like there is a conclusion. I don't know if it feels very very weird to me to have this spectacle based movie climax in a knife fight, like in a valley that has like no vistas. It, it seems like there's, it makes a lot of no interesting choices uh, that work against it having any sort of narrative momentum for me. It is very much such, so much like, and then this happened and then this happened. And like, didn't you know that this was going to happen because people have been alluding to it in dialogue scenes for 30 minutes. And I'm like, kind Wait, like of, what? but also like, no, there's also uh, a bunch of pro- a bunch of visions that do happen and a bunch of visions that don't happen. Uh, a bunch of visions that don't happen. Is there anything worse in a movie than a fucking vision? They are almost wow, invariably someone didn't, like, want a boring as hell. Yeah, geez, Paul <laughs> Bettany deserves better. Yeah, he we really, got two visions, I mean, two whole visions. I, I uh, also didn't care for one vision, but yeah, the, 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 uh, there is there is truly nothing exciting about. I mean, what what Dune, from what I gather from the Wikipedia, eventually does to sort of subvert the chosen one. Um, white savior trope is interesting and will be, uh, you know, strange to see Denis Villeneuve try. I mean, I guess it's even after Dune Part Two, but um, yeah, in the context of this movie, it, it's very flaccid and interesting, and uh, one of the many things that makes this narrative even more inert than some of Villeneuve's previous movies. I think this is his. I I respect. You know, I think you have to the craft of this movie. Uh, I I. Throw my lot in with Christopher Nolan. Agree with what he was saying about the uh, merging between practical effects and CGI. There is a real weight to the effects here that is sorely lacking in so many other movies these days. Um, it, it really beggars belief. Um, the movie is enormous. The sound feels like it's coming from inside your own body. I have tried using the Bene Gesserit voice on my toddler. It's worked <laughs> with uh, middling effects. Um, I don't know if the FDA has approved it for kids. You gotta work on your pitch. Yeah, you gotta work (laughs) on your pitch. Um, the one effect that drives me up the wall because I hated it so much and was like my my entire body sagged when I realized that it was going to be recurring throughout the movie is the Rock'em Sock'em robot shield effect, which I understand having seen the Lynch version is is sort of could have been worse. Uh, (laughs) could have been better. Could have been blockier. But it really sucked the life out of any of what? the action scenes for me because oh, every time I they fight, so it's cool, just like red and blue and it's invisible. And it's just, it, it really, in a movie where it has such a practical reality to these large scale special effects, this made it all feel unreal and animated. And I hope that the mm. shield technology has been forever dismantled. And we can just put Maybe it I've been it's not in that by... last scene. Yeah. Maybe I've been uh, trained by Foundation, but I was like, these shields seem normal. I was thinking about Foundation while I was watching Dune. Uh, Foundation yeah, felt deeply boring to me, and while I was watching Dune, Ooh. I was just like, "Yeah, bring it on." Let me see what Javier Bardem's doing. I don't think I don't think that's necessarily inaccurate because Dune is very fun to look at, but I do like Foundation better because what it has on its mind. It's, because what? Dune doesn't have that much on its mind right yeah, now. Yeah, see, that's the problem. Yeah, like, I, I agree with I, that. I, what Denis Villeneuve is doing here, what he did 
I'd say more successfully in Blade Runner 2049 is what I am often, I find myself asking for out of other blockbusters that feel empty to me. It's to slow things down. It's to have a, a sense of, mm-hmm. of weight and stakes to what's happening. The problem is that he <laughs> takes things too far in the other direction and it's all just empty portent. I mean, there's nothing on all of the, the anything under the surface really of the spice has sort of been taken out. And I feel like it's all just sound and fury signifying nothing. I compared it in my review, which was widely loved on the internet uh, by all people <laughs> who read it um, famously. <laughs> and I think it has its own Wikipedia page. Just people, just, you know, the, the Citizen King clapping gif is uh, I compared the, the movie to a novelty size check for $6, which is often how it felt. It's like everything is huge. And there's I need to, to I need you to stop. I need to hear Katie uh, unleash the positive <laughs> waves here because I I, don't, I totally disagree. I mean, I well, I agree with you that the movie slows down. The movie takes its time. So you don't totally no, I do disagree. Not, right? I, re- uh, I can't uh? that statement. I, I retract. Um, like I I like how slow the build up here is, and I like that Timmy Chalamet and and every cast member get a little moment, and I feel the family. Like I like. All no one's in the movie that much, but I like Oscar Isaac as Leto um, and talking about plans and trying to think big in their next big political move. I like, oh man, I love that first scene with Duncan Idaho, the kind of character driven. Hey, I'm back. He's just a guy. He's, it's, okay. it's amazing how like he's, you can he's have. Giant can, Jason I, love, Momoa I love that we can have space. giant vistas of of spaceships. Okay, and wait, let me, line, let me hold on. No, no, no. I, no this is too important. No, you got to interrupt me. You, okay, you, you spent got five minutes talking about going into the shower with your wife. I get to button I'm not here. sure that was uh, The the I'm, line that I believe is not in the novel, but that Jason Momoa says in that scene where he is like dripping with charisma and uh, masculinity, both of which. You know, I could not compete with, but he is uh, talking about how, you know, like dreams are nice, but being awake is like when stuff happens, because that's when we do things like <laughs> it's just if that's a line in Frank Herbert's novel, you know, God bless. But that just felt like the clunkiest dialogue. It was rattling around my head for days afterwards. I could not get over it anyway. Continue, Patches. I'm I've lost my train. Katie, what are Good. you going to do? Well, you did start that sentence by saying you wanted me there to was, talk, and there, then you started talking. So, to be fair, oh. there's a really cool sequence uh, where this little uh, bug hunter killer like uh, attempts to attack Timothy. Katie, Chalamet, right? what do you think mm-hmm. of Dune? Oh, oh, I like oh. Dune. I like Dune. The thing about this movie is that there's a bunch of beautiful stuff, and then a new actor shows up like every scene, and you're just like, oh fuck, who's that going to be? Who's that walking under a cloak? Oh, it's Javier Bardem, and he hates everybody in the room, and I love That's it. That's a great scene. And then Stellan Skarsgård like, floats up in the air a bunch of times, and then eventually Zendaya does show up, and Josh Brolin leads a bunch of people screaming. Charlotte Rampling is in this movie? Did you guys even talk about Charlotte Rampling like, making Timothy Chalamet cry by talk about. crunching his scene. hand in a box? That the box scene is, scene is so great. Good. Put your hand in the box. Re- Rebecca Ferguson is great. Like Look The idea that she's like, I mean, I, I I tweeted about this. She's just like this like beautiful witch who's like teaching her son how to be cool. And it's She's awesome. been a cog in a millennia long eugenics program to engineer the, the perfect emperor. Uh, yes, but she's got for them. powers. And she and uses that voice to get them out of the helicopter thing. Those helicopter things look really cool. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, doctors. there's so, a Koenoscotsi right. Baraka-esque quality to the movie oh where i God. just kind of want to see oh new things happen like <laughs> if only there were a kawanaskatsi uh level score and not hans zimmer phoning this... it the fuck in like he always does <laughs> the the 
the hand zimmer the hand the hand zimmer is like one of two name brand film composers in the world or household names among film composers drives me up the wall because uh you know i think this is really subpar and uninteresting work and um like there are moments particularly early on where it it vibes in a wavelength that i think serves the the greater world mystique of it but as soon as you get to arrakis it's just you know the gladiator score all over again all the worst parts just made twice as loud yeah i don't love i don't love the score either but i do like so finishing what i'm thinking about why this movie worked for me i think it is just setting up paces it's like here's this part of the world and here's this thing and here's this technology and here's this character and it's just coherent enough and it just gives you enough narrative drive to make it feel like you're following a story not just watching all these pieces of the world like like you were saying dave like it is very and then this happened and then this happened and obviously it ends halfway through it is dune part one <laughs> but i was so engaged by all the stuff i was learning yeah, I, I mean, so. I, with, by the time that, ba- I mean, the, the thing, like, can, are we doing spoilers for Dune, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, you know, it, it, it seems like it's trying to end on this emotional note of Paul has never killed anyone and he kills this guy and he's, like, clearly upset by it. But I don't think that that's been set up enough as a character thing for him for it to be like, oh, God, wow, he's really crossed a Rubicon. <laughs> he's only been so trained was... to kill as a prince for decades. <laughs> I mean, he's never yeah, done it. Like, that part of it felt fine. But, like, Zendaya ending with the saying, this is just the beginning. And, like, I mean, Ugh. he says he says desert power at the end, which desert, is clear. Anytime so many, anyone oh, says desert, desert power is so funny. Drink, it's so funny. Desert power is always good. Oh, good. I truly could not believe that people got together and agreed to end a movie, this movie, any movie. Where it they do? Why? I, Why? I mean, the, like Fellowship of the Ring, for example, ends on a moment that feels satisfying for the portion of the greater story that it's telling, while also teeing up the next chapter to come. This does not do that. It is. I, I felt like it in no way felt like a appropriate ending for the 160 minutes. It didn't take a deep breath through. to be like, and here's what to expect next. You weren't. I mean, it, it's. It's just the breath. There's there's no sense of climax. There's no sense of galvanizing. I mean, I don't understand why it needs that. Like, why isn't it? Sa- I, I was left pretty satisfied, mostly because I enjoyed everything before that moment. I, I've seen some criticism of the movie that says that people think it's it feels like a big pilot for a TV show. And I'm like, yeah, OK, oh, I don't get that. That's vibe. great. I don't get like, that vibe, though. I, I mean, I kind of felt that way. I just watched a lot of setup, but it was beautiful setup with good performances. and. I'm into part two. I hope I get it. But like, I'm not thinking about what's you'll, next. You'll get it. I mean, we are getting it. But um, I, I, I don't know. And on its taken on its own terms without thinking about what else is possible and what else is next. I just thought I had a good time at the movie. I don't I don't really understand the, the criticism that well, seems to extend beyond like... the scope of what's delivered by Villeneuve. I mean, it's the move like judge the movie. I, I I feel I like there was we a little were. switch there in, in the end because I think we are judging the movie in the sense that it just like the air gets let out of the balloon and the movie's done. Like uh, like if you want to end on like a big spectacle or something, they encounter the giant sandworm that stares them down. That seems great. They get buried like in the sand this- in the tent. I feel like it starts the story with the group of the um oh my god not the Harkonnen what do they call the Fremen the Fremen Fremen it's just like you get enough of them you're like oh Javier Redden's here okay like Zendaya is here this is all like you get the sense of what will be starting next and then you have kind of an emotional climax as I said it doesn't work that great but like you get some kind of moment and then they walk off into the future like I origin story not like Lord of the Rings. 
But yeah, it didn't feel to me like a, like a random place. Like it was just like a quieter way to end it than him. It's like I got the, the prequel. Which that I got shot the prequel of him staring down the sandworm rules. I mean, it's as it's, big as a swing just... as putting part one on the title card. I just don't give credit for that. <laughs> It's just, uh, it, it's just that for a movie that is so outsized, that is so epic in scale, there may have been a way to to have a more intimate capstone to end it, sort of, uh, sort of play atonally against the the scale of the movie that's led you to that point. But I don't think they found it. I mean, it feels like a blip in the middle. But why does of the like something so much bigger the movie not work for you? Uh, I I thought the set pieces. I, I just, love the like doctor Dave... and the rescue the rescue mission where the, the I mean that's fine. It's also a sequence that battles. works in the in the David Lynch version. I don't want to puff up that version We're too not much. Talking but, like, about the Lynch version. That that sequence is kind of a gimme. Um, it's it's pure and simple suspense, and it's powered by. You know, sandworms eight thousand miles like, long. That scene in Dune was too easy. Show me something. Uh, no, I mean, I it's, mean, it's, uh, I, I could show you seven Tremors movies that says yes. Yeah. That scene in Dune's too uh, easy. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, but it's very simple suspense. Run away before the thing gets here. Um, and my problem, I, the sandworms, which are such sources of awe, and were the tag at the end of the trailers, understandably for so long. As soon as the sandworms actually you know, reveal their little butthole heads, I lost all interest in them. They they, they hmm. are they are just very basic creatures. I understand there's lore attached to them that it's going to become increasingly important in future installments, that people are going to continue riding them, as we saw briefly from the distance. Um, but I Spoilers. just don't feel like there's any real intrigue to them. Um, I just, I thought Dave really hit the nail on the head when he was just talking earlier about how uh, a lot of the, the it, this feels hollow. I mean, there's just it's slowed down to the point where it's meant to be percolating something interesting under the surface, and I just didn't really feel it for me. I didn't care about any of the characters. Um, I was into the world well enough until some of the aesthetic things kind of pushed me out of it. Whether it was the the shields or the wailing over the score, um, or you know some of the other elements. I don't know. And and the all the scenes of combat, like when the Harkonnen come back. Uh, I loved I loved everything to do with Stellan Skarsgård. I love the shot of him up on the ceiling. Uh, I love him flying across the room. Um, I love all that shit. But the actual ambush by the Harkonnen is really uninvolving. Um, the yeah, all that stuff. I mean, it's, especially once Timmy and uh, his mom run away from downtown, you know, Arrakis, whatever the place is called, um, Arrakis City. Does it have a name? I don't know. <laughs> He, it's, I I found it just really dull. The stuff with them running through the caves and the prophecies coming true and just revisiting the visions that we'd already seen two hours earlier. Uh, It felt like we were just sort of killing time until Timothy could kill someone. And uh, he Hmm. does, and it's kind of underwhelming. And then we all move on. I hope that when seen together with part two, um, which I have to imagine is going to be more interesting than this, I'm hoping that it's sort of the end game to this is Infinity War. Uh, that some of the things that frustrated about me about this will make more sense to me. Um, but for now, it's just uh, I found it a real empty experience, and and probably my least favorite film that's in Evil and had made. Wow, really? Um, I demand God, you, you like sit this worse than Prisoners. Yeah, yeah, yeah don't do Prisoners again. Pri- oh my prisoners God, is, uh, uh, Prisoners is a good movie. What? Oh yeah. okay. no! Oh, this, I, that David, really, you were so close to like ending on that a really puts it all in context <laughs> for me. Thank Thank you for prisoners, uh, what an prisoners, awful movie! Prisoners has a bunch of Radiohead in it. It's cool. Ah, so does uh, right. Lots problems, of but. lots of people have seen Dune and like Dune. Like they've spoken on Dune. There's going to be a Dune too. 
I'm not mad at any of those people. This isn't like people who like Batman v Superman, where I'm like, you should know how to tell a good I didn't movie get from that a bad impression. movie. <laughs> yeah, this this just didn't. It, it's like it's uh, doing tons of technical things that is are done basically perfectly. I have nitpicks about sound essentially because gotta nitpick something. The performances are all great, like Katie mentioned. It's just another person rolls in and does a great performance and then rolls out. It's just at the end, I was just sort of like, huh. Like, I'm more interested in all the pieces that I saw than what I just saw. Katie, who, so I re- who, is, yeah. who is the MVP of, of Dune? Maybe Jason Momoa? I loved him in he's this really movie. Good. Like, he's just such a good burst of, like, casual dude energy. He should have played Dune, Solo in Dune. Solo. No, oh, interesting. <laughs> I feel like he's got Han Solo energy, obviously, because Star Wars is completely off of that's, Dune. That's definitely what the character um, is bringing you. I still think Oscar Isaac is great. I mean, Timothy Chalamet holds himself pretty well. That role is tough. I don't know that he's like There's a lot of standing around stand looking at people. This. But yeah, he's really good at playing, you know, sniveling, entitled little twerps. I mean, I think that's he. He was. Uh, which is no dig at the real Timothy Chalamet, but I think that it is why he is really being set up for a fall as Paul Atreides here. Um, and the the lower the character sinks, maybe after Dune Part 2, I think the better his casting will appear. It's why he's so perfect as the also-ran in Little Women um, for Joe's affections. Um, and, uh, it, you know, I think vulnerability weakness uh these are things that he plays really well i thought he was good and beautiful boy for the same reason even if that movie you know doesn't particularly hold up but um call me by your name he's a good actor but i think that like the the character's weakness is why he works so well here and why i think that this is such a better fit for him than playing like a marvel superhero would be I like There's a lot of Marvel character and a lot of Marvel actors in this movie. I like what Oscar Isaac does so much that I was like, "Oh no, I want more of him." Knowing yeah. that, like, Desert he basically power. has to go away. Yeah, he made. He's the one who sold Desert Power. He's the one who sold the. Oh shit, our equipment was bad to begin with, and now we're fucked. Like single look. So yeah, yeah everybody I shows like up Josh in this movie, in this except movie. for me. Apparently, I just like how chummy yeah. everyone's chummy. Yeah, it feels like mm-hmm. I think what the success of this movie for me. And this is in contrast to Foundation, which I like. And it's also in contrast to Jupiter Ascending, which is actually the best movie. Um, mm. Is that oh, everyone no. is kind of like down to earth? We were talking right at the top about how in this society they're using. It feels like they're using like helicopter parts in their thopters, and they're talking in walkie talkies. And there is this kind of low tech aspect, even when they're flying around in spaceships. And and it, that almost extends to to the relationships and the and the way they conduct themselves. This isn't like. There are aspects of this regal society where there's an emperor and and houses and factions and taking over planets and ruling spice production. Um, there's big ideas there, but at the at the core, it, it just feels like a family moving in story and and trying to like get settled and figure out what their new hometown it's life is going to be. Poltergeist all over again. <laughs> yeah, it all, it feels like. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, a, what's that Francis Ford Coppola movie where they're making cars? Um, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you know what Tucker yes, man, yes, yes, yes. just like it's 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 about like starting a business um and it's a bunch it's a family like trying to make it in a new town um you've been transferred from the branch office into a new yeah. town and the manager and it's that kind of down to earth attitude i mean 
yeah, we 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 say the lynched version did that Thopter rescue scene really well, but I don't know the dynamics of everyone in the Thopter at that time and like the way they conduct themselves. It just feels very realistic, and while the the scope of it uh, is a success with visual effects, <laughs> I feel like the performances are really what drew me in. Like these are real people, and they uh, I'm not people saying really that die. the lynch. That the Lynch version did that scene really well, or that David said that is the best of scene it. that's been ever done in any science fiction film, <laughs> or, or that any version of I it filmed in a Tremors movie <laughs> is comparable to this. Only that you know, with to, to to yip and holler over the success of Denis Villeneuve's Dune would require more than pulling off a, a simple suspense sequence that has been done effectively in the past <laughs> well we're getting to the point where those of us that didn't like it started hedging our bets so i think you guys are slowly mm. winning i don't know about that but um oh, I, oh, oh, oh. I i do Spirit think just to, just to shift the conversation a little bit i will say that i was genuinely as much as i didn't like this movie happy and and deeply relieved to hear that uh, the part two was greenlit because um I think that it would have been it would have augured such terrible things that, that may still come to pass, but not as soon, not as drastically as they might have otherwise, uh, had Warner Brothers decided not to go forward and just to sort of leave this like the divergent series dangling in the wind. Um, divergent and, series, and, you know, your beloved divergent series. Yeah. I'm sorry you'll so, never hear the part two, David. I know that's I, I know. Hope Springs Eternal and uh you know, who knows how good show. part two could be, but like but uh Man, I mean, I, I think that really would have been a, a doom and gloom scenario. Um, if you're going to choose your fighter between prestige blockbuster tent poles that are not like superhero movies, Dune over Tenet 2000%. Let him go make another Dune. I never want to see another I, Tenet. I, you know, for all of their failings and, and for the toxicity of their fan bases, I mean, they may not be quite in, in Snyder bro territory, but the Denis Villeneuve. Maniacs, and I'm sure there's a lot of overlap there, are uh, vocal, um, to say the least. Uh, and so for all of the things that, you know, you can say about Christopher Nolan and Denis Villeneuve, I think as low a bar as this might be setting, Hollywood is a infinitely more interesting place with them making giant blockbusters than it would be without them. Um, and so, you know, more power to them being able to continue to do that. I hope they only clear the way for other auteurs to rise to their status and be able like to... Like Chloe Zhao with Eternals. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, I don't know what Chloe Zhao is going to do next, but hopefully something else. <laughs> there, uh, There is the... That would seem like the spiritual link between Tenet and Dune that I can't like put my finger on, but just like deeply confusing, visually spectacular movies with uh, great performances in them that are maybe sillier than they think they are. I, I got to think on this more. Mm. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it, it's real fun. I mean, I had a similar problem with uh, Blade Runner, for the first time I saw it, I was like, what the fuck was that? But then in returning viewings, I sort of, I think that movie works a little better because the distance between trying to replicate an emotion and having an emotion is actually the base point of the plot. So I'm a little bit mm. more forgiving when it comes to that. I don't, Dune doesn't have an ending. I don't know what I'm judging it against. And it that makes it very, makes it, it does very have an ending. Uh, it has a fight okay. and then, then, then it, he walks off. Then it, it has one I don't like oh, okay. then. And then someone's riding a sandworm. And then someone's riding a sandworm. This is just the beginning. Is that how all good endings go? I thought it was that woman who is the like ecologist who the doctor. Yeah, she gets eaten by a sandworm. It definitely wasn't her, right? Anything's possible, Katie. 
in Dune. Get a in the tune. Dune to to do to noon. Dune. It's out in theaters. It's on HBO Max. It's in our hearts. Go see it. Walk without rhythm. That does it for this week's show. We will be back next week not to argue about Blade Runner 2049, which is what we were just threatening to do to each other, uh, but to talk about only murders in the building, uh, the Hulu show that ended recently. So you can go watch the whole thing. I basically need to watch the whole thing. So uh, check back in and see how far I get. Yeah, I'm excited. Comedy, murder, Um, Selena Gomez. Yeah. What else could you need? Uh, In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches. I'm actually the deputy editor of Polygon now. Hey! Hey! Yeah, kiss the ring. Uh, I'm on Twitter, (laughs) at Mr. Patches, and we have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com. If you ever want to, like, go back and huff the spice of our old reviews, uh, it's all there to mine and refine. So, fighting in the world. Well, and not to um, not to give away too much of the future, but our old reviews may be something you want to bone up on. <laughs> yeah, in your bone future. up on it. Mm. Mm. In the shower. Wait, no. no. Different no. joke. Uh, hi, I'm David. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, David Ehrlich. You can find me on IndieWire, writing about a sort of thing this week. We'll be writing a lot about pig coming up. I watched pig over my like quote finger quote vacation. Talk about pig. I haven't watched pig yet. God, Pig's- pig fucking rules. Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, yeah, it really uh, is really great, and not just in an internet hyping up a Nicolas Cage movie sort of way. Um, you can find all of us on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room, and you should please go on iTunes, Fighting in the War Room, leave us a review, and read it live on the show. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E, and you could, uh, well, no, this is my only podcast. Find me here, Fighting in the War Room. Uh, and I'm Katie Rich. I do have another podcast. You can find me on uh, at Vanity Fair and on the Little Gold Men podcast. Uh, this week, what did we talk? Oh, I talked to Frank Kranz, director of Maths. Listen to that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. And you can find us all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can tweet us about your favorite performer in Dune, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of last night in Soho, if you could live anywhere, anytime, when you fell asleep, why is it Dune? I actually really want to hear the answers to that, so uh, please tell us. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. So move on. Halfway between the gutter and the stars. Halfway between the gutter and the stars. You can blow with this, you can blow with that. You can blow with this, or you can blow with that. Or you can blow with this, or you can blow with that. Or you can blow it up. You can blow with this, you can blow with that. You can blow with this, or you can blow with that. Or you can blow it. I'm done.